draw close to you this morning? Would you show and reveal yourself to us, Lord, in your word and as we worship in Jesus' name? Amen. You can be seated. Before we go any further this morning, I have two announcements to share with you about upcoming, um, upcoming events, okay? So the first is um, over, the last few, over the last few weeks, Jessica McKeever, who is currently setting up for the volunteer picnic that's happening after church today, um, Jessica McKeever and Brigetta have been working uh, to put together a Conduit Kids volunteer, I guess you could say, uh, like handbook or manual, uh, both that outlines um, new policy and procedure and like what Conduit Kids is all about um, and helps to, hopefully helps to better resource volunteers in the children's ministry. And so uh, we want to make our best effort at communicating that really clearly and uh, giving me an opportunity to share my heart and vision for what children's ministry both should be and can be and will be here at Conduit. And so we've scheduled the first of uh, the first two of many upcoming uh, opportunities for volunteers who are currently serving in some way, shape, or form in Conduit Kids, whether that be downstairs or in the nurseries up here, to be a part of a um, of a like a overview of that handbook and manual, as well as this is an opportunity for anyone who is not serving in Conduit Kids, but would like to serve in some way, shape, or form, or learn more about that ministry and what our goals and visions for that um, can come to one of those opportunities as well. You don't need to come to both of them. They're both the same thing, these first two. And so uh, they are uh, Sunday, September 8th, two weeks from today and, uh, at 12 p.m. right after church. And we'll provide lunch for you, of course. And then Monday, the next day, September 9th, here at 6 p.m. So you can probably expect about an hour to an hour and a half of uh, time And so if you're able to make either one of those, whether you are a current volunteer or would like to become a volunteer, um, the, those are the dates and times. If you have any questions about that, you can see myself, Brigitte, or Jessica McKeever after service today. The second thing that I will announce, uh, or that I'd like to announce is, who here is a part of an open house? Open house is Conduit's version of small groups, Okay. So there's a good bit of you who are a part of an open house. Now, who is not a part of an open house? Who has never been to a small group at Conduit Ministries? Okay, so also a, a, a decent number there. Okay, so open houses are what we consider to be what we call small groups. You might have heard of, um, like, you, you might have your own definition, life groups, small groups, cell groups, Bible studies, open houses, kind of all one in the same. There are Conduit's version of small groups. Well, Every, uh, every year we kind of have a, um, a resurgence of new groups starting and 
older groups, um, welcoming more people into their groups. Well, over the next two weeks, so starting next week after church, before, both before and after church, we'll have opportunities for those who are not a part of a small group yet to, to see what small groups are being offered coming up here in the fall and to um, sign up to be a part of one. And then your, the leader of that small group will be in contact with you about uh, more details. So those sign-ups are going to be over the next two weeks, and they will be out in the, um, out in the foyer out there as you're coming in and leaving, uh, leaving worship with uh, the leaders out there as well for you to interact with, ask any questions. So if you have a desire to be a part of a small group, we would encourage you to sign up for one next week. We believe, uh, we believe that growth in Christian community, it happens in, it happens in groups, not rows, right? So you're, the greatest amount of growth that you're going to experience in your walk with Jesus is not necessarily going to happen while you're sitting in the rows here in this room. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen when you are sitting with a group of people and Small groups here are um, equal parts community and equal parts study and prayer. All right, so uh, yes, there will be study and prayer, but also uh, we we believe that the strength of discipleship is in the relationships that it creates with other people, long-term relationships. So please make an effort to uh, please make an effort to sign up for a small group, and we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Okay. You pray with me again, please. Father in heaven, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for Proverbs, how it has um, called us to pursue wisdom. Lord, we pray that uh, this morning as we are learning a little bit more about what it means to fear God, uh, that you would reveal the truth of your word to us, especially in a topic or a phrase or a saying that maybe is sometimes hard to grasp onto. And Lord, we want nothing more than than to understand um, who you are to know who you are, to experience who you are, Lord, to be drawn into relationship with you. And so, Lord, uh, we pray that you would just reveal yourself through the power of your Holy Spirit to us this morning. Open up every ear, soften every heart, Lord. May we, may we be um, eager eager to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, first, from last week, who was here last week? If you were here last week, yeah, we talked about the wisdom of giving and receiving advice. And um, if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to hop on our app and uh, or on the web, go to the website and you can listen. Uh, you can listen to the to the sermon from last week about the wisdom of giving and receiving advice. The heart 
the heart that is required to be a person who gives advice and the heart that is required to be a person that receives advice. The heart of humility um, to receive, the heart of love to give, and uh, the, the, the wisdom that is required in that. And so uh, the challenge for last week was for you to, this past week, to determine who two, anywhere from two to five-ish of your, uh, of your advisors, right? The language from the book of Proverbs that we used, with many advisors, plans succeed, right? Um, so to, to find uh, uh, your advisors, who are the people who have a track record of your best interest at heart, who base their lives on godly wisdom, over, um, over worldly wisdom, who are willing to develop long-term relationship with you and ask them if they would be willing from time to time to speak into your life. And so I, um, my hope in prayer is that you have taken that seriously and that you've begun that process of creating those relationships or initiating those relationships. And if you haven't, um, I would... Uh, of course, encourage you to do so. Um, but this week, we're marching into maybe something a little, um, last week felt like really practical. Like even in my own spirit, it felt like a lot of nuts and bolts for learning how to be, uh, to make wise decisions and receive godly counsel. Um, this week seems a little bit um, a little bit heavier for me, like even in preparation and praying over this, because I, I, don't, I don't recall, at least in my walk, ever really hearing a message about the fear of God in church. I mean, you feel, you hear like, you hear bits and pieces of what it means to fear God. But in, in general, we're, we're classically taught to not be afraid. That, we, that there are things that we, that we, shouldn't, we shouldn't be afraid of. Uh, Jesus uh, tells his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 27, as he's getting ready to go to the cross, and then we'll ascend back into heaven. Do not be afraid. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to be with you. He's going to guide you into all truth. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew um, chapter 10 uh, that, he, that, there is, that there are things to be afraid of and things not to be afraid of. He says, do not be afraid, Matthew 10 verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body. Of course, God told Joshua, um, right as he was taking the helm of leadership from Moses in the first chapter of Joshua, verse 9, we see over and over again throughout the whole, the first six chapters of Joshua, God continually saying to him, be of good courage and do not be afraid. Be of good courage and do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous and do not be afraid. And so we're, 
we're constantly told, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God says to Joshua, do not be afraid. Be courageous and do not be afraid. The overwhelming message that we hear is, do not be afraid. Until God's like, but be afraid of me. And so, it kind of feels like, you know, you're on this, you're trying to find the balance point in life. You're trying to find the balance point in your walk with Jesus to know, like, well, if I'm not supposed to be afraid, but I'm supposed to be afraid, right? Like, what, what's the deal? Where, where are we at with this Lord? So, you hear the phrase, we hear the phrase a lot, or people are often referred to as, um, as a God-fearing person, right? And that is generally used like as a, as a positive description of someone, right? They're just a God-fearing, she's a God-fearing woman, God-fearing man. And, and we hear that and we think, we don't think negative, negatively, right? We think positively. We think that, Okay, here's a person who is conscious of God, whose, whose life is conscious of the presence of God, the things of God, the wisdom of God, and, and, acts, and acts accordingly, right? And if you were in, in your reading of Proverbs, and I've been so encouraged to hear and to see that some of you are taking, like, the proverb a day thing seriously, and that it's transforming the way that you're looking at Scripture, and it's helping you understand what um, uh, the heart of God, right? So continue to read a proverb every single day, and today is the 25th, so that means you're reading Proverbs 25 today, right? And if you have been reading the Proverbs since we started, which was three weeks ago, you'll have seen probably several allusions to the fear of God. And how when fear is mentioned in other parts of Scripture, it's, it, is, um, it is communicated as something that you need to avoid, right? Avoid the fear of man. Avoid, like, do not be afraid of the opposition that you will encounter, Joshua. Do not be afraid of what? Do not be afraid of death, Jesus says to his disciples. Do not be afraid. But then when you get to Proverbs and you begin to read, you begin to see that the fear of God is a universally positive thing. That you want to be fearful of God. In Proverbs chapter, I'm gonna, just a few references here, Proverbs 14, verse 27, it says that the, the, fear of Lord, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. Right? That, that before... That before my fear of God, right, I was drinking from the well of death, the fountain of death. But, 
But now with fear of the Lord, I'm, I drink from a fountain of life. I have been, I escape from the snare of death. Proverbs 28 verse 14 says something similar. Blessed is the one who always fears the Lord. But they who harden their heart falls into trouble. Yeah, I think what we see here, and we're going to go over several other, this is not, of course, the only place in that talks positively about the fear of God, is that, um, is that there is such a thing as a negative expression of a certain emotion and a positive expression of a certain emotion, right? There's maybe fearful responses or attitudes or thought patterns that are negative, right? Fearing, fearing death for the Christian, right? We do not need to be afraid. Uh, fearing what man can do to us, like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. Fearing opposition or circumstances when God has clear, clearly called you to something that 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 type of fear those are that's that's the fear that we that we wish to avoid but of course emotion I'm talking about fear as an emotion right now can have both positive can be both positive and negative so for for instance like we almost always think of anger in a negative way or a positive way Negative or positive? Negative, right? We almost always think of anger in a negative way. But, I, but I, am, I am guessing that all of you have had an experience either in your own life, something personally, or something that you've witnessed where, where anger, when kept in check, has proved to be a fantastic motivator and fuel to get something positive done, right? Or, or uh, how about crying? Crying, universally seen, or mostly seen as a negative or positive thing. When you see someone crying, do you think negative or positive? Negative, okay. Um, I uh, officiated a wedding last night, and um, she's not in here, so I can talk about her. Uh, my wife, I talk about her all the time anyway, but my wife has a, this, um, this thing that she does at weddings, and it's called crying. And, um, and it's... <laughs> It's, it's never a negative thing, but, you know, she'll cry generally, you know, um, you know, throughout the wedding. But there's one moment in the wedding that, like, if it happens, she is just a mess. Just a mess. And that is when, or, or if, at the reception, they do a mother-son dance. Right? And it doesn't matter how well she knows the couple at all. Right? It, does, it doesn't matter. When the mother-son dance happens, she is a puddle on the floor. All right? Because she's just like thinking our, our son is eight. Okay? It's not like he's getting married next week. Right? Uh, but she's just thinking about this like this experience of dancing with her son and, and I, at the wedding and like crying over it. And so... The crying in that instance is not seen as a negative thing, right? It's an expression of joy. It's an expression of sentimentality. It's a, a joyful expression, right? And so, so when we encounter emotions, it's not always 
necessarily a only bad thing or only a good thing. So, so while yes, the scripture does tell us to avoid the fear of certain things, it also encourages us to press into the fear of God himself. To not run away from the fear of God. To not be, here listen, this is an interesting thing, but to not be fearful of the fear of God. And we, we typically, all right, we typically, I think, avoid fear uh, because of what it uncovers in us. Because of, what, because of what it exposes about our hearts. What it exposes about our mind. What it exposes about our souls or our actions. And, and, and if I were to say, what, is the fear, what, what does fear primarily expose or uncover? It primarily exposes or uncovers that we are not in control. You ever been so afraid of something that you know you have zero ability to control. Or, or you've been afraid of something or fearful and have had zero ability to control the response of fear. It just happens, it happens so naturally and easily. Fear uncovers that we are not in control. I'm not in control of this person over here. And so I'm fearful of what they will do. I'm fearful of what they will not do. I'm fearful of what they will say. I'm fearful of the direction that their life is going. Um, I am not in control of this circumstance, right? I, I, can't, I can't control what's going to happen. I can't control what already has happened. I can't control what's happening in the moment. And because I can't control it, like, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of I don't know what is going on here. We, we are not in control, and so we are often fearful of the future, right? I can't see what's over the hill. I can't predict what's going to happen. I don't know about tomorrow. And so this latent sense of fear builds up within us and we realize how ridiculously out of control we are with life. We can't control people. We can't control circumstances. We can't control the future. And that makes us fearful. So I want to I propose this this morning about fear, and it's this, it's this main point, is that fear is primarily a struggle with lordship. Fear is primarily a struggle with lordship. My fear points to who is in control. Now when I say fear is primarily a struggle with lordship, what I'm saying is that, uh, like when you think of lore, a lord, okay? I'm not talking about just another name for God, right? 
Like we would say Jesus or God or the Holy Spirit or Jehovah or Lord as in like a, a really generic sense, right? I'm talking about the, the office of Lord. You know, in like feudal times, there would be a geographical area and there would be a Lord over that geographic area. Right? And the Lord was responsible for everything that happened there. They, they, were the, they were the chief one in charge and in control. Whatever they said, that's what happened. Right? Whatever their decision was, that's the way things were. Right? And so when we talk about lordship in the Bible, when we, when we see that Jesus is described as Lord, that or when, when God is described as the Lord our God, or Yahweh, what we're talking about is the one who has complete and total, without reservation, has to ask for no one's permission anytime about anything, anywhere, lordship, rule, sovereignty, above all others, including you. Including me. When we are afraid, when we, when we exhibit fear, when there is fear either negatively as a negative emotion or fear as a positive emotion, fear is an issue of lordship. Who am I going to decide is lord of my life? Now, an incredible thing about God, right? He lets you choose. He says, Cameron, you can be lord of your life or I can be lord of your life. But there's no such thing as dual lordship, right? Either, either I can run the show or you can run the show. But we're, we're not doing like this, you run the show sometimes, I run the show other times. Depends on the circumstance, depends on the situation. So when we say that we, uh, or when the scriptures encourage us move us in the positive direction of the fear of God, uh, we're, what we're not expressing is when we, when we fear God, we're not expressing the danger of the relationship, right? Your child, when you, when you instill a healthy dose of fear in your child about the hot stove, right, you're seeking to express the danger of touching the hot stove. But when we, when we talk about the fear of God, we're not seeking to express danger about the relationship, our relationship with God. Fear of God expresses the sobering realization to you and to me that we are not in control and that God's holiness is unfathomable. When we, when we encounter the idea of the 
fear of God, that the fear of God is a fountain of life. Blessed is the one who always fears the Lord. What we are describing in that moment, that the positive fear of God is the confession that we offer, the sobering realization that maybe we have to make in our own hearts that, that God is indeed holy and unfathomable to us, and that we, we resign ourselves, we surrender ourselves to his ineffable glory and holiness. Now, there are many ways, there are many um, things that, um, there are many, I, I guess we'll say like trajectories that Christianity has taken throughout time, right? One of those trajectories makes this concept hard to swallow and like fathom. When we talk about the, the unfathomableness of God's holiness and glory, the fear that is expressed in the holiness and glory of God because we have for a long time been taught, been encouraged that God is accessible, right? That, that, you, that, that God invites you into friendship, right? That he, he, he desires relationship with you, that he loves you beyond all else, that he has sacrificed his son for you, that Jesus, Jesus took on flesh to incarnate the character and nature of God and walks alongside of you, that you have a relationship with him. And now, none of those things are wrong, okay? God, God does invite us close in Jesus. God does, uh, God, God does invite us into relationship. We can know God by knowing Jesus. We can experience the presence of God through his Holy Spirit. But in, but in emphasizing the closeness and accessibility of God to us, we have overcompensated and downgraded the absolute holiness of the one who has created all things. The otherness. The un fathomable, uh, ineffable nature of God's greatness and worth. There's a few instances here within Scripture where we see God is like, whoa, slow down, don't get too close to me. Like, you don't, you don't know, I love you, right? But my holiness, my glory... It will destroy you. And we kind of think, like, well, that's kind of, like, it's not very seeker-sensitive there, God. Um, like, just want to be your buddy. Just want to be your friend. Like, let's grab a cup of coffee or craft beer or something like that and talk about the weather, right? And, and, God's, and, and God's like, yes, um, in Jesus... I have come close to you, but understand that in my that, that in Jesus my holiness is restrained for your own protection. For instance, Exodus. 
Everyone, most people know the story of the burning bush, right? That Moses um, flee, he, he fled um, into, uh, into Midian, right? And then he was in the wilderness and he saw this burning bush, right? And so he like just strolls up to the burning bush and has like a, oh, hey, conversation with this burning bush. And God speaks to him in that moment, right? And they begin this, this really close friendship. But one of the first things that God says to Moses in this moment, um, Exodus chapter 3, uh, verses 5 and 6, he says, he says this, uh, and Moses said, here I am. And what is the first thing that God says to Moses in that moment? Do not come any closer. Take off, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. That, that the reality of of who was before, before him produced in him such great fear, but not fear as in danger, fear as in awe, fear as in wonder, fear as in the creator of all that there ever was or ever will be is standing before me and here I am, broken in my sinfulness, Dirty in my righteousness, and I cower underneath the holiness of who he is. And throughout the history with the Israelites, God, God continued to appear to them. Not as like this grandpa figure that comes and everyone sits on his lap and he tells them stories, right? Like this, this warm, inviting old man, but that God continues to appear to the Israelites as what? Any guesses? As a consuming fire. Not just a fire, right? But a consuming fire. That that just lays waste to everything that it touches. Right? Exodus chapter um, 24, verse 17. We, we're just in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 24, verse 17. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord, right? Lord, looked like a consuming fire on top of a mountain. The writer of Hebrews echoes this same sentiment when he says that our, our worship should be given in awe because our Lord is a consuming fire. The writer says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. I have it up here for you. Since... Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Why? Why do we worship God acceptably? 
with reverence and awe. It's because of this next statement, verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. That even our, our worship of God, our worship with God is, is, is dangerous. We stand on, we stand on holy ground. We, we, must, we must proceed carefully in the moment of worship with reverence and awe because the God that stands before us is a consuming fire. Maybe one of the most stark examples of the absolute otherness of God in Scripture is in the book of Job. Now, here's what I want you to understand, all right? And and this is the reason that I'm spending uh, so much time here in this moment, is that you understand that the the church or Christianity has has leaned towards the, the... uh, the buddy, friend, warm, grandpa image of God, right? But that the, the scripture says that there's a little bit more of a balance there, right? That the balance, the scales, that yes, we find, we find the warmth of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the acceptance of God, the friendship of God in Jesus Christ, but, the, but, the, but God the Father, right? God in all that he is, is is unfathomably holy, is a consuming fire, and whose glory none can contend. And in order for us to understand what it means to fear God, we must come to the grips that what we are fearing is not some maniac, that that, that fear is dangerous, but that we fear because of God's greatness. It is his greatness that leads us into awe, reverence, worship. And the reason that's so hard, the reason it's even hard to stand up here and say that, even like right now in me, is because like, well, what do you, man, I'm, a, I'm from America, and we don't bow to anyone. Like, I, I am the captain of my ship. I am the master of my soul. No one tells me what to do. I make my own decisions. I'm an independent man. And uh, as long as God kind of gets on my, gets on my, my plan, then, then we'll be all right, right? Starts talking about things like holiness and worship and forgiveness and fearing him. I don't, I don't fear anyone. Uh, that's been drilled into us, right? That, that, that has been drilled, absolutely drilled into us. And so even the talk of like cowering in awe and reverence before the, the glory of someone else is, it's offensive to the lordship that we desire to hold on to. But in the book of Job, we see this kind of Old Testament parable-like story where Job has gone through absolute disaster in his life. Disaster. And he has, in 
in um, moments of, Job's actually a really good example of when you get bad advice. Okay? He goes through these experiences with these friends of his who desire to really, um, like, hey, you know, you really ought to be talking to God about what's, everything that's going on in your life. I don't, know, I don't know where he is, and I don't know what he's doing, but, like, God has obviously abandoned you, and, and God is obviously not powerful enough to rescue, the, rescue you from these circumstances. And, and Job remains strong at the beginning, but his friends begin to wear him down about who God is and about the goodness of God and the holiness of God. And, and, and God kind of like keeps his mouth shut almost the entire book, the entire story, until it gets towards the end in, verse, or in chapter 38. And then God's like, all right, I've had enough. I've had enough. In chapter 38 of the book of Job, God goes on what can only be described as a holy rant. Not a temper tantrum. Not like a fit. Like he's stomping his feet demanding that he be respected. But just a simple like, hey bro, walk carefully. Take off your sandals for a moment. Because you're you're on holy ground. He says this, chapter 38, verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of a storm, and he said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations. Tell me if you understand, who marked off its dimensions? Surely you must know. Who stretched the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb. When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you can come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Where were you, Job, when I did that? Have you ever given orders to the morning? Have you ever shown the dawn its place? That it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? Now that's just the first 13 verses, but God just like continues to go. And continues to go. All the way through chapter 38. All the way through chapter 39. Into chapter 40. Into chapter 41, all the way to the beginning of chapter 42. And Job's like, my bad. Forgot for a moment who 
I was dealing with. In trying to determine how we can come to some kind of maybe practical application about the fear of God, what it means to come to a realization of the holiness and glory and and unfathomableness of God's character. We search for all kinds of like contemporary examples and applications or like things that are similar. And so understand that um, really every comparison or metaphor that you can offer um, that, that tries to describe the character of God and the nature of God, it falls short, right? That it's not perfect, all right? And so, so this is an imperfect example. I want you to understand and hear that before I go any further, right? But understand that it, it may bring some kind of like, it might stir your thoughts towards how, how can we be encouraged to fear God and at the same time feel like we're not in danger around God, okay? And, and, um, and God, God refers to himself both to the Israelites and to us, you and I, as his father, right? That we are his children, that he has adopted us into his family through faith in Jesus Christ, that we are, that we, um, are heirs of the inheritance of eternity that, that is due to us at the coming of the age, right? And um, I don't know your... I don't know everyone's relationship with their fathers. Some people have great relationship with their fathers. Some people have zero relationship with their fathers. Some people are, so, are somewhere on the sliding scale. And I don't know where yours is, but I can, I can only tell you that, um, that, the, that the weight of, of fatherhood, the, the, the role of fatherhood or, or, or being a mother kind of holds this... this Healthy fear in the eyes of a child. You ever, like, moms or dads, you ever, like, told your kids, well, you just wait till your father gets home. You just wait till dad gets home. Right? And, and I don't know about in your house, but in my house that tends to work. I don't know what that says about me, um, but uh, in my house that that tends to work. You wait wait until your dad gets home, and and I can I can tell you that my there is no safer place for my children than with me. On this earth, there is no safer place for my children than with me. My wife knows that. I know that. Um, I believe that my children know that. That in, that in a moment of fear where they wish to escape danger of what's coming or, or of something that's happening, that the first person they would run to would be me, would be their dad. But there is also this incredible, like, um, oh, dad's here. 
there's this inc- there's this incredible like, and I, I believe this is I, you know honestly I do believe like that relationship is forged in the heart of God and placed into every child right that their father is both a place of authority and respect and honor but it is also a place of like fear because there are both negative and positive examples of fear now understand the the place that that the place that that metaphor breaks down for people or breaks down for us is that some of us had fathers who used their position and their place in a way to be abusive and so and so we didn't find safety in the relationship that we had with our father all we found was anger all we found was distrust all we wanted to do we didn't we didn't want to see dad when he came home because we don't, didn't know how he would respond we didn't know what dad we were going to get that day and so and so understand that i I understand the totality of that metaphor breaking down because because our earthly fathers are imperfect, fallible, broken men. And they they fail at simultaneously um, being a safe place for their children and at the same time offering a sense of awe, and respect and honor. But here's the thing when it comes to fearing God. I want you to see this progression here, okay? This is like this is the meat and potatoes of what it mean of of fearing God and why the fear of God is not a fearful thing, okay? So, number one, our fear of God is a recognition of his holiness, right? It's a recognition, um, it's, a, it's a recognition and confession of his holiness. We fear God because we know who he truly is. But his holiness, all right, his extreme unfathomable nature is expressed to you and I in love. God communicates his character and nature to us primarily through the person of Jesus Christ in love. That God's holiness is his character, God's expression is his love, And that God's love is a perfect and safe relationship that draws, or it's perfect and safe and draws us into relationship. So, so that we can actually, we can actually say that the fear of God is not a fearful thing, but that the, that the fear of God based on our, like, knowing who God is, but receiving his love through Jesus Christ, 
draws us into a relationship that we know we are safe. We know we are at home. We know that even in the imperfection of our earthly father, that our heavenly father offers a perfectly safe place all at the same time like our awe, our reverence, our desire to, to be like um, surrendering to him. In fact, there's two uh, scriptures here. We're running out of time this morning, so um, I'll just reference them for you that describe how as we, um, as we grow in grace, as we, as we grow in our understanding, as we grow in our relationship with God, I'll just read one of them to you here from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1, or verses 2 and 3. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. That, that it, in, in Jesus' life, right, that he became a man who was not, um, did not, experience the fear of God as something to run away from or something to be fearful of, but that, but that because he recognized the Father's holiness, it drew him into safe relationship and he delighted in the fear of God. He, he delighted in the relationship, that, the safety that he found in the, in the holiness of God. So when we fear God, when, when we experience a confession of his holiness, a, an invitation into safe relationship with him, we understand then what Proverbs means when it says, for instance, in um, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27, That the fear of the Lord adds length to life. But the years of the wicked are cut short. So understand, when we, when we encounter scriptures that are like, the fear of the Lord adds length to the life. Or the fear of God is a fountain of life. If we read it on the surface, we're like, well, how can fearing something be good? How can fearing something be a fountain of life or lead to good things? But when we understand the progression of what it means to fear the Lord, we understand that, like, yeah, of course it leads to, um, of, of course it leads to the lengthening of my life when I, when I recognize the necessity of surrendering control and lordship to the one who is unfathomably holy, that it welcomes me into a safe relationship with him, right? That, that my fear of the Lord actually produces positive results in my life. That, that, that Proverbs goes on to say in 
chapter 1, verse 7, and chapter 9, verse 10, that, that, that the fear of God is not something to be, to be like afraid of, but that in verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's like, it's like, the, begin, it's like the first step, right? Realizing that I don't know it. Realizing that I don't have control, realizing that that there is that He is Lord, that I am not, that it is that it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of knowledge, is the beginning of wisdom. And as I as I enter into that safe relationship with the holy God, expressed in his loving kindness through Jesus Christ, that the fear of the Lord leads to, like, the practical um, repelling of evil around me. Uh, Proverbs 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. That the fear, that the fear of God it positions itself in opposition to evil. So that, so that as, as I live under the weight of God's holiness in me, the weight of God's holiness over me, right? That I stand now in, in opposition to evil, pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Here um, is my prayer for, for you this week. And here uh, is what um, the band, band, you can start coming back up. And here's what I want to encourage you towards this week. One, if you haven't listened to the message from last week, get on the app or on the website and listen to that. Um, start praying over who your wise advisors are going to be. Talk to them. Have a conversation with them about it. But number two. Right? Number two. In your prayer life this week, ask God to reveal His holiness to you in a way that He has not before. When you ask God to reveal himself to you, he will. He will. He will show himself to you. He will express his love to you. He will will unveil his holiness to you. And it's and it's it's in the unveiling of his holiness that that we become aware of the that that fearing God is not fearful thing. That in the fear of God, we are the safest we have ever been or ever could be. Because we are, we are tethered to the God who told Job, look, look, bro, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Heavenly Father,
would you reveal your holiness to us? Lord, as a church, as Conduit Ministries here on the corner of Newland and Delaware, Lord Jesus, would you pull back the curtain of your holiness, Lord, that we might be a people, we might be a people who fear you. And that, Lord, that we might find the safety of relationship that is in your presence. Lord, may your holiness reveal in our hearts all the places where we are holding on to control, where, where we are trying to exert dual lordship, and that, Father, maybe for a renewed time or maybe for the first time this morning, we approach you and say, be my Lord. I surrender my lordship to yours. Show me your holiness. Let me find the safety. Let me find the safety of fearing you. May we be God-fearing people. May we be a God-fearing church. In Jesus' name, amen.